Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Great Design Lead Podcast. My name is Benjamin Dellen, and I am a recent graduate of Muhlenberg College for their Bachelor of the Arts program in Sustainability Studies and a concentration in Environmental Ethics and Policy. My specialization is in marine and water ecosystems, both within the United States as well as internationally. Right now, I am currently working on pursuing a master's degree at Lehigh University for environmental law and policy, once again, specializing in marine and maritime. And I'm interested in exploring tidal energy and possible new renewable energies, as well as ways that we can make common practices more sustainable. Great. Thanks for doing that. Yeah. Uh... I'm really excited to have uh, Ben on the podcast because um, so the podcast itself is about uh, design and really solving problems. And I'm a uh, web design UX person, and I like to uh, look at how people interact with things online and uh, understanding how that works and solving those problems. And then when I was talking with Ben about what he does, I thought it'd be really cool to chat about it because he looks at problem solving and uh, uh, human interaction with the environment and uh, and all of these things that we can fix to make things more sustainable and understanding law and policy. And I thought that's a total different way of looking at problem solving. And so I, I really wanted to have you on the podcast. So thanks for coming on. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Anytime. Absolutely. Awesome. So, uh, so yeah, I guess we can, we can start with, uh, with how we know each other. Um, a long time, really. <laughs> I, I think I've probably known you for like more than, uh, really any of my friends that I, I know in college or anything like that. Uh, Ben and I, um, grew up in the same town and, uh, we went to the same, elementary school middle school high school <laughs> and uh and now we're we're both in college and um and yeah and so so that's that's how we know each other but um you were talking about how you um uh are at you graduated from Muhlenberg and now you're going to Lehigh but um I kind of wanted to talk to you a little bit about um how I remember you from high school and it might be interesting to uh hear a little bit about more why you decided what you want to do um and why you're studying what you are so the funny thing uh when when people after um uh high school and going to college and you meet up with people uh sometimes people tell you how they remember you from high school and yeah. i thought it kind of interesting because sometimes it's not exactly how you remember yourself so what how i remember you from high school is um i knew that you were super into orchestra i knew that you um uh loved stage crew um that you were in the yearbook you were involved in a bunch of different clubs at school you were super involved um and i just remember you as as just like being one of the nicest people in high school and you were always super open to like making friends and hanging out with people um but yeah that that's how i remember you from high school but i i didn't remember that um uh i i didn't i didn't learn about your interest in um like environmental study and so i kind of wanted to hear um how that originated before you decided you wanted to study it yeah absolutely um so at first i actually wanted to do medical um 
I was really into medicine. You know, my mom's in the medical field. Um, my dad's in the business and sales side of things. Um, along with my brother, he does graphic design. My sister does um, campaign fundraising for um, big societies. So I I was really kind of grown up in this house that had both the science as well as like business. Um, really didn't want to do the business side. So <laughs> I was leaning more towards the medical side like my mom was. Um, I was sent to even, I even went to this conference. What was it? Had to have been freshman or sophomore year. One of my professors, one of my teachers um, nominated me for this big medical conference three days in Washington, D.C., um, with kids from all around the country where um, former presidential doctors spoke, the guy who was dealing with genome mapping, um, the first face transplant patient, like all these people talked. <clears throat> and it really was something that I was I was really interested in. Um, and then I did these two trips in high school through a group called Broadreach. I highly recommend it. It is amazing. Um, the one was three weeks in the Caribbean. Um, it was me and nine other students from around the country lived on a 70 foot catamaran in the Caribbean, um, sailing island to island and scuba diving every day with, wow. yeah, <laughs> with a scuba dive instructor and a, um, professor, a marine, uh, biology professor, um, and that kind of made me definitely re start to rethink like, okay, maybe this is what I want to do. Marine biology and all that stuff. Um, summer after that, going into senior year, I took another trip with that group. Um, and this time I went to British Columbia right off the coast of Vancouver. And it was three weeks living in a kayak. So I lived out of a kayak. Um, we track wait, wait, wait. how does that work yeah uh you load all your <laughs> stuff there's little compartments in the kayak you load all your stuff up you stuff it in there and you just kayak around we would pull over at night um wow. unpack, pop up the tents and camp out yeah so it's uh, like like water backpacking a little essentially, bit yeah essentially. <laughs> um and you, except uh, it's three weeks without showering. And, and oh like, my gosh! Stuff, unless you just hop in the water and shower off. But yeah, you know, it was it was tracking again marine mammals. But um, we had to do a research project on it. And my research project was um, I we were on this place called the Echo Bay um, Salmon Field Station, um. And it was founded by this woman named Alexandra Morton, who's one of the foremost like um, marine conservation people out there. I mean, talk works with the International Whaling Commission, travels around the world dealing with policy stuff. Um, and you know, I got to talk to the people on the base, and my got to do my research project with them. And it was um, I was looking at farmed versus wild salmon and seeing its effects on the environment. And while it's still marine it pulled in more of the sustainability and just environmental stuff as a whole. Um, and that, that really kind of solidified that that's what I wanted to go for is not just Marine, but environmental science. I'm still interested in medicine, but now I found something that I was, I liked a little bit more. Um, and I went back to the high school for senior year and I took AP environmental science with Mrs. Baranek. 
Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that was a class and you know, I loved it and I took the AP test. I did really well on it. And that's, that's when I just started applying to schools for environmental science. Um, so then I got into environmental science and I went to a school freshman year. Things didn't work out. Um, really wasn't happy there. Transferred to Muhlenberg sophomore year and was still environmental science. Um, and after that, I took three weeks in my sophomore year um, to Costa Rica, did research in Costa Rica for about two two weeks. I'd love to hear um, more about that because I, I, I read a, a lot about what you did there and it sounded really interesting and that mm-hmm. you you had the ability to interact with people and do interviews and that's a little bit where you overlap with what I do. So I'd, I'd love to hear about that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it was three weeks. Um, you take a Muhlenberg has this amazing thing called a Mila course for students who don't think they have time for study abroad or want to do study abroad, but don't want to do a full semester. Mm-hmm. Um, and you take a class for a semester. And then when the class is over and it's winter break or summer break, um, you go to that country and you do your own research. Mm-hmm. Um, and you take the class there. So it was um, Costa Rica. We went to this small town called Las Juntas de Abangares in what's called Guanacaste. Um, it's about an an hour off of the, um, uh, what is it, the Intercontinental Highway. Um, and about an hour and a half south of Monteverde. So right in the middle of the cloud forests and the volcanoes and all that stuff. So it's in a great location. Um, so we went. It was a place where my professor, Dr. Richard Niesenbaum, had been going for years. Um, Knew everyone in this town. Um, So we went and it was really just great. I mean, we got to see how environmentalism, how sustainability, how conservation is being integrated into everyday life there. Um, How these people are just really interacting with their environment. And we were accompanied by um, another professor, Dr. Chris Boric. Um He's uh, one of the leading people on environmental policy and, and um, like campaigns and elections. He came with us to really help us understand the policy. And Nissan Baum helped us understand the science and the actual sustainability. So my project that I explored um, for my research was just looking at the effects of tourism and ecotourism, because that is the biggest market in that country. Mm. And looking at how it was affecting not just the country, but the people, the businesses, the environment, um, policies that were being implemented. And really just seeing how one little practice is affecting everything um, while talking to the people of the town, getting to know them, helping them out with stuff, um, and really just just forming a relationship to to really understand in depth um, how sustainability how sustainability was working in the country. Yeah, I remember you telling me about. Um, uh, I mean, wh- when most people think about sustainability and and uh, uh, tourism, they I would guess that they would think of like the trash that people leave behind. Mm-hmm. And I, I remember you uh, talking a little bit or writing a bit about that um in which you were it it sounded like the people that were there that were part of this um tourism uh uh economy um were saying that they really appreciate the tourists that come because 
they they bring a lot of money to the uh the community but it really is frustrating when people are like leaving things on the beach and and leaving litter everywhere do you want to talk a little bit about that yeah it, um it must yeah. be different to to hear it firsthand and see their expressions it is and you know they're they love when people come they like being able to share things with um tourists and people from outside the country the biggest thing that i did learn from them though is if you go to the if you go to costa rica especially if you go to any country don't do just the normal touristy stuff i mean everyone's doing zip lining through the jungle and the river tours and all that stuff what many people don't realize is that these are owned by companies outside of costa rica that mm. own the hotels there from other countries that are then making the money. Um, the one thing that I kept hearing over and over again from everyone was don't just do touristy things. I mean, do it, enjoy, but find a way to get involved with the people. Um, mm. I can't remember what it was called, but there's this one app or program that they have where you can find community projects that they're looking for help with. And you can go as a tourist and help with community projects. Um, just go talk to them, hang out with someone in the town, start talking, do whatever you want. Um, but that was the one thing is just getting involved um, and leaving it better than you found it. That's always something that you hear in sustainability and conservation. Anything is, is leave no trace or leave it better than you found it. So don't go, go to the beach and, and um, have a party and have fun and enjoy your vacation and leave your trash behind. Um, mm -hmm. Whatever you take with you, you, you leave with. I mean, that was the biggest thing. It's, it's just keeping it clean yeah. and being being respectful of the environment. I mean, um, they one thing I found I was talking to a local, um, an expert. He was our tour guide for anything animal. Um, so we went out to the cloud forest with him, and one thing he told us was that they see a decrease in the wildlife whenever it's tourist season because people come and they're just loud and they're talking and they're obnoxious and it scares everything away mm. and it makes it harder for everyone else who's there to just actually enjoy the wildlife like with ecotourism where you're specifically going for the environment and the wildlife and the nature yeah some people might not uh, be familiar with the term ecotourism because when mm -hmm. when i think ecotourism uh my first reaction is like just traveling around the world and seeing cool things but it yeah. sounds like it's really deeper than that and it's really uh seeing different habitats and seeing animals and plants and everything so so yeah i I'd, I'd love to hear about that a bit yeah um main difference so tourism is if everyone knows what tourism is you're a tourist you're going away to another country you're going away somewhere you're not familiar with it doesn't have to be another country it can be another town just going to enjoy the town itself and and enjoy kind of your vacation um ecotourism however is specifically traveling somewhere um that might be um a natural environment so not necessarily a town but maybe like a desert or a rainforest um and the main goal of it is to explore a new exotic place um, that usually they're places that are endangered or threatened, um, like a rainforest or a coral reef, stuff like that. Um, we're really all everything for that part of tourism, for ecotourism is intended to support conservation and just really experience and observe the wildlife without 
involving yourself in it. Um, mm. So scuba divers, there's a lot of people who are scuba divers who are ecotourism um, instead of just tourism. They go and they literally are just there to observe and look. They're not going to get involved with any of the wildlife. They're not going to touch anything. It's just to look, maybe to take photographs, wildlife photographers, anything like that. Those would be ecotourists. Mm. Um, uh, any science scientists who are just going to observe and report on research in the rainforest, that would be an ecotourist. Mm. So, I mean, it really, you're there to enjoy the wildlife and the nature and respect it knowing what it is. And that's that's really the main difference. And so when you're in Costa Rica and you're you're learning about all of this and you're you're doing these interviews and understanding a little bit about what's going on there, when you move into um your your grad school life and your post university learning life and you're in the real world, um I, I'm interested in in what role you would want to be in in terms of maybe not specifically in that situation but what role you'd want to be in in uh in policy in uh research i'm just interested in that yeah um so i'm aiming policy wise i want to be making or working with policy to help sustainability and conservation mm -hmm. um while I may have started school as environmental science, I ended as a sustainability studies major, which was a new major at Muhlenberg. Um, and it, it really looks at overarching things. First, to answer the question, I think it's important to realize that sustainability isn't just environmental. It's everything. I took religions classes, anthropology, sociology, history classes, government classes. I mean, sustainability is such an overarching thing. It's not just, oh, I have to recycle or, oh, I have to use less water. Mm. Um, you have to deal with human aspects. You have to deal with the environmental aspects. You have to deal with everything. Um, so I'd, I'd like to be ideally working on conservation efforts in terms of policymaking, um, just looking at how we can change the way we do things every day and what, what, what new things can we implement to kind of make it, make it better. Um, and that's honestly the biggest field with that right now. One of the best things to be looking at is construction and the way we live and the way that we consume and just like how things are made. Um, I found really is just making a difference. Yeah, my specialty is marine. Um, but honestly, so many things with marine conservation happen here on land with um, other stuff. I I remember seeing a quote that you put up that I thought really reflects what we're talking about right now when you're saying if it can't be reused reduced repaired rebuilt refurbished refinished resold recycled or even composted then maybe it should be restricted designed or removed from production mm -hmm. so when you look at um, either if it's a suggestion for a client that you're working with who wants to uh um conserve their resources to not have to spend so much or if you're talking more at a government policy uh lens um this is this is pretty much your um your motto in in how to give the best advice yeah honestly i think that it's it's a great quote um honest it, yeah 
anything that is should be able to be sustainable should be able to be changed in one way or another to be sustainable. If you can't find a way to make something more sustainable, more healthy for the environment, then that's where you need to change it. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've seen this. Um, we've seen this throughout throughout American history, throughout world history. Um, DDT was a huge pesticide that really just couldn't be changed. Couldn't be, even if we did restrict it, the effects on the environment were too far gone. The effects were too strong. So what did they do? They outlawed it. Um, mm-hmm. They removed different production. Um, restriction, we've restricted multiple forms of, of energy of different practices. Um, multiple states have put a restriction on carbon dioxide with carbon taxes and um, even gas taxes they're thinking of doing um that's something that can be restricted and monitored but doesn't have to be removed so Mm. yeah everything in some way should be able to be redesigned or um if you can't find a way at all to make it better or mitigate then it i think the best choice is to be removed um yeah with with that i remember listening to somebody saying that when it comes to a, a big company or big organization it's it's not it's not really their fault necessarily if they have a giant company that they're going with at whatever's cheapest because that's kind of like the nature of business that you go with whatever is not going to take up your resources and so that you can make the most money in terms of profit but mm-hmm. it's kind of not their fault because it's um it's allowed they're like well if if it's allowed then I'm not doing anything wrong. Like I'll stop as soon as it's not allowed because my competitors are going to do this. So why wouldn't I want to be competitive and, and keep up the same amount? Do you, do you see that as kind of like understanding where they're coming from and making an even playing field by, okay, nobody's allowed to do this. So your, your competitor isn't winning by uh, um, going with the less morally, sustainable side while you are trying to be sustainable yeah you know um it's important to realize that in this here's my personal belief if you can't realize that it's not always their fault and there really aren't other choices then you kind of got to rethink the sustainability aspect um because it is everyone starts at a certain point it is not the fault of certain companies that they have been practicing something for so long and times have changed. I mean, really fast, especially in the way of eco um, and conservation and environmentalism times have changed fast in the past 10, 20 years. Um, every company has is under the same kind of guidelines, how they find a way around those guidelines. That's them. That's all up to them. Mm. Um, and I don't blame them for going with the cheapest option what I blame is a lot of the time they don't attempt to look for something that can be just as inexpensive Mm. Um, or that could be more sustainable but maybe a little bit expensive but get stuff back a lot of companies now are switching or investing at least in solar energy they might not be using it but they invest in solar plants Um. Because at the end of the year, depending on how much that plant produces, them as an investor can get a tax reduction from the government. Mm. Um, 
or um, they can get a, a credit from the government for that solar energy that's being produced. So some companies find a way around it and they try to mitigate their own um, emissions, their own pollution or, or just their own practices um, by investing in other stuff, other renewables, because there are options for them to get financial reimbursement um, one way or another from the government. And that's, that's why a lot of companies are switching, but for the ones that don't make the effort and just kind of say, Oh, it's too expensive. Mm. That's, that's where I kind of have issues. Yeah. Do you, so like, let's say that you're in a uh, consultant role and uh, you are talking with a company that is um, uh, bringing you on to kind of do a internal audit on them to, to tell them what they're doing and uh, what they could be saving money on. Because let's say this company is really focused on conserving the resources that they have because they don't want anything to go to waste and then they paid for it and now it's just going in the trash. Um, I am feeling that there's probably a lot of um, sunk cost uh, ideas that go on. Like, we've been doing this forever. Like, we're going to have to, like, we already spent so much time uh doing this certain way like why would we change now um is that something that people have talked to you in school about just like the idea of of sunk costs that we've always done it this way we invested so much time in it why change now that is the main reason why people aren't more sustainable or practicing more sustainable practices Mm. Uh, because it's the way it's always been done it's what we're used to it's easy um just to give an example, um, fashion industry and textile industry. So my family works in the textile industry. Um, my family has always owned textile companies. Um, main textiles that you're going to hear at the store, polyester, cotton. Um, uh, now we're seeing more tweed and linens. What is being used for those fabrics and grown is mostly cotton because that's what people are used to. Mm -hmm. Um, That's what we've always grown. That's how it is. Cotton has such a high necessity for water to grow. You can't keep using it in the same fields. Farmers have to move from field to field. Um, And what they don't realize is there's new things that they could be using. That's going to help them a lot more. Um, the main one being hemp. Hemp is something you're seeing more and more, but people mm-hmm. always think people automatically hear hemp and think that it's the same exact thing as like marijuana, mm-hmm. um, which it's not. Hemp has zero levels of of the hallucinogenics or anything that marijuana might. But here are the other things with hemp. Hemp is about seven times stronger than cotton. It's going to last a lot longer. Really? Every time you wash, yeah. Every time you wash it, it gets softer. Um, the way that hemp is made into a textile, the, so it's so tightly woven that it basically is impenetrable for UV rays. So it's really good for sun protection. Uses a fraction of the water, can grow in almost any soil, does not remove any nutrients from the soil, but actually absorbs the carbon dioxide a lot more. Um, so it's good for greenhouse gas mitigations. And Because it doesn't take the nutrients out of soil, farmers are able to do multiple waves of hemp in the same field without having to spend the money to switch from field to field. So they can grow more yield at one time, make more money, while also saving um, money on pesticides. Hemp clothings, 
would be great for um scrubs and stuff like that in the medical field mm. hemp naturally has antimicrobial properties um naturally it's it's it, it doesn't get these odor causing microbes on it. it it's more resistant to any other forms of um microbes on it which you look i mean a lot of places scrubs are made out of cotton that are treated with antimicrobial chemicals mm. hemp is something that naturally has them um so i mean there's there are these options that are phenomenal for new things for both fashion for clothing for other things but it's not what's used because there's a stigma around them um mm-hmm. and it also just it's not something that's always been used i mean cotton's the traditional thing or these certain practices are the traditional thing why switch now absolutely it it sounds like um it sounds like there's a lot of frustration in in this idea of trying to of of really having these really great options to go with and just having this this just concept that people have in their heads of um something that's not really database and just the idea of sunk cost it sounds more like uh the the human psychology is getting in the way of uh some things that could save people a lot of money and and affect the environment in a less negative way is that uh-huh. is that what you're saying yeah a hundred percent and one of the most frustrating things about the field that i'm going for is that no one you you, it's very hard to find people who agree i mean scientists Mm. in general you put a bunch of scientists in the room there's they might agree with ideas but they're never going to agree 100 percent with each other on anything Mm. Um, because each of us has our own ideas of how things are done even though we have we might have the general idea of yeah this is what we need to do this is the goal but there's going to be 5,000 different ideas as how we do it and which might be mm. best because everyone has their own preferences. Um, so, I mean, even for the solutions part, it's, it's hard. Human psychology gets in the way. Um, but the main thing is finding something that you can kind of agree on an idea or know that it'll work and go for it. What's feasible. That's where science kicks into this field. What's feasible, even if it's for like an industry, what is going to be easiest for them to do while also making a difference even if it's a small difference yeah it multiplies exactly (laughs) over time that small difference is going to make a bigger difference because they'll be able to do more um and that's yeah personal preference and psychology gets in the way all the time um but at the same time it's something that we can use to our advantage absolutely and it it um something that at least in my field, when it comes to making decisions on uh, on a totally in a totally different industry of uh, uh, well, we should go from uh, instead of paper uh, sign in sheets at like a hotel or a place like Disney or something like that or paper check in uh, like checklists, we should go to um, to like iPads or mobile mm-hmm. apps or something like that and. The way that I would approach somebody who has kind of like a sunk cost mentality in my industry is obviously with with like user testing and data visualization and the opportunity where I can say the change that you're going to make from going from uh, paper to digital um, is the 
amount of data that you can have um, from people logging everything in to a app that can be converted to a database. And then you can use things like like analytics to understand um, maybe there's inefficiencies in certain things that you're doing and you're wasting money here. You could be investing more money here. Um, so that's really how I would approach somebody who um, was kind of resisting a change from something that they've always done. Um, can you imagine how, if you were approaching somebody, um, how you would try to empathetically show them how you can really improve um, their business practices, just looking at somebody that put all of their years and money and time and maybe generations of families into this business that's just their their everything, and you're somebody that comes in that they don't know and and trying to tell them that they need to change something that they've always done. How do you do that in a really empathetic way that 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 gives them data that's not just your subjective opinion? Yeah. Um... So the biggest thing I think that's important to realize is you would be there because they want to make a change. Um, mm -hmm. You want to do something. You can't do anything if the people don't want to. Um, second, it's important to realize that, that you can't change everything all at once. You can't just mm -hmm. get rid of something and stop and just say, we're getting rid of all your paper stuff and go 100% electronic. It's not going to work. Mm -hmm. um, if I tried to do that with anyone, like if I tried to do it with my grandmother, it would be an issue. <laughs> and that's just because they were doing it so long. They've been using paper and stuff for so long. Um, personally, I don't think I could go 100% electric or mm -hmm. electronic. I, I like to have some paper stuff. I like to be able to write and erase and do work. Um, so it's a, that's the biggest thing. It's important to know that you cannot do this in one fail swoop. You can't just say, we're getting rid of it all. As of right now, you're doing electronic. Because um, one, it's it's going to have a learning curve. You have to ease into it. You can't just throw someone into something without them knowing because it, it's going to upset them and then they're not going to want to do it. Mm. Um, the biggest thing is you have to make it easy. That is the one thing that I always learned over and over again. You have to make it easy. If it's easy... And they can get a hold of it fast. That's your golden ticket. Mm. Nobody wants to do something that's hard and going to take in more effort. Mm -hmm. Everyone wants to do something that's fast, easy, that they can just kind of get going on. And once they get going, that's when you start cutting back and move and move and move. So a uh, hotel industry that does room service. Start with something small. Start with order all your meals through your phone. See how it goes. Um, have check-in, something something maybe with check-in before you get there. Something small. Hey, you check in on your phone before you get here. We're just going to check your um, ID when you get here. There you go. There's no paper involved. It's little things that are slowly moving. The airline industry is a phenomenal example. Um, everyone checks in on their phone now for the most part. A lot of people um, have their boarding passes on their phone, check in on their phone, order their tickets through the computer instead of going to the airport and doing it. Mm -hmm. um, it just gets, it doesn't seem like a big difference, but it saves a lot of paper on printing out these boarding passes and printing out all this paper. Um, 
but they still offer paper stuff because not everyone feels comfortable doing it on their phone or not everyone likes to use electronic stuff. Um, the retail industry is, is a good example. I mean, we have, you can take card, Apple Pay, Samsung Pay, anything, um, order stuff online, online shopping, huge. Mm-hmm. Um, but people still like to go and have a physical thing there and see things and touch things. I think it's the same idea with trying to get rid of a whole a whole practice. People are used to it and people like certain things that you can't just get rid of it all at once. You have to get them used to it slowly. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's the biggest thing. Make it slowly, make it enjoyable, make it easy. So it sounds like you have a little bit of experience or understanding of the user experience and user testing. Is Did you ever uh, learn about that? In, in terms of making something easy and easy for the user to um, implement in their daily lives? Um, personally, no. The one thing that, the only experience I've had kind of with that, I did, um, okay, um, two things. One, I did a semester's worth of work um, in a class called Sustainable Solutions. That's where this mm-hmm. whole idea of making it easy and this is how we do sustainable things came from. Mm-hmm. that's really where they nailed it into you um and while i was in that class we had to do presentations on solving an issue and trying to make it so people will will change and i of course picked something that wasn't going to be easy i did um fully changing renewable energies wow yeah um yeah i really went for it um, <laughs> <laughs> so i I focused on tidal energy or ocean energy, and I really had to find ways that people would be more willing to switch because nobody wants to really, it's hard to get people to switch to solar, Mm. let alone try to get a whole country to switch to tidal energy. So it was, it was really finding small little things that people could do to slowly over time, move us towards renewable energy, but on a bigger scale. Um, you have to start small and grow big, and that's that's really where that was instilled in me um, in that class. Um, but I, other than that, I haven't had any real actual like trainings or anything on that. It's all from research or or just my professors. So when when you talk about tidal energy, how does that how does that work, and and what would um either everyday people or um just like counties and towns do to have this tidal energy that sounds interesting yeah um so tidal energy is something actually it's it's one of my favorite things i think it's it's just so cool i I think it's awesome i love it i think it's so cool um then again my specialty is marine so if it has to do with the water the ocean there's a solid chance i'm gonna like it go for Um, it it's the main problem with it is that the ocean is underutilized as an energy source Sit so hmm. what about seventy five percent of our earth is is ocean um if that if if not more at this point um so it's there it's not going anywhere it's there um what a lot of people also don't realize is as much as seventy five to i believe eighty percent of oxygen on earth isn't from trees it's from the ocean really yeah, because of the amount of um phytoplankton and stuff um in in the ocean it it, it, scientists say that it estimates about 50 to 80 percent of oxygen production comes from the ocean 
um, wow. from ocean plants, algae, um, bacteria that can photosynthesize, and um, the, the phytoplankton that's everywhere. Um, so while everyone's worried about trees, don't get me wrong, worry about trees. Let's let's go for it. But um, not a lot of people worry about the ocean, so it's there. Yeah. Um, so why not utilize it? Um, tidal energy is is cool because it's it's imag- it's like a windmill essentially. Um, doesn't have to be a turbine. It can be literally a little um, raft that bobs up and down on the water, and the bobbing creates magnetic friction, which creates energy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it can be a lot of different things. Turbines, um, like the windmills, something called a fence, um, which is it looks like a fence, but the bar, the what would be fence posts or whatever, um, are going to turn with the water and generate energy. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, it's it it's never ending. Um, obviously, it's based around the sun and the moon because of tidal patterns. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no emissions. Um, wow. It's easy to install. It takes about thirty minutes to install a, a tidal turbine. Um, you you have to get everything into the water first. You put the base down into the water, and then thirty minutes you just basically click the turbine on top. Um argument with that downside there's some sedimentation and some 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 disruption to the ecosystem at first but they found mm-hmm. over time within a year even everything kind of comes back to the turbine and, and starts living around it again mm, okay um, so it's kind of like what is this foreign thing that's here and then after a while they get used to it yeah exactly okay but it doesn't it doesn't it's not moving um and the turbine itself moves so slow that stuff can swim around it mm, um okay. nice thing with tidal energy it's predictable you can predict how much energy it's going to put out every 15 minutes for 25 years wow because of tidal patterns pattern yeah. of the moon, pattern of the moon and sun is not going to change yeah um, so we can estimate that um and it's a hundred percent energy output you don't lose any energy from the conversion of tidal to energy um coal well you only remain when coal goes from the coal to the energy you lose 60% of the energy. Really? Yeah, in the transformation. Um, this, you don't lose any. The downside, mm-hmm. of course, to tidal energy is it has to be on the water. Mm-hmm. Um, how do we transport it? We don't have batteries that are strong enough right now to hold the energy to go from one place to another, to transport mm-hmm. it in, in land. Um, there's a lot of influence in oil and coal, as well as other non-renewable energies. Um, lots of influence in politics and everything else. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a lot of foreign companies that make them. Mm. Um, so that's going to be a pushback. Some people don't want to get involved with foreign companies. But Scotland is a huge supplier. has one of the biggest companies. And there's I don't know why there would be any issue with getting involved with Scotland. Um, you seem pretty neutral at the moment. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Maybe I haven't... I haven't heard any issues with them yet. <laughs> um, and the other biggest thing is it costs about a 2.5 times more than windmills. Really? Um, yeah. Um, but the cost of that drops about 50% each year it runs. Mm, okay. you, make, you make it back over time. Um, but it's nice because the fast installed, you can pull it off to do some. Um, they only have to come out for um fixing and checking on the turbines once every six years 
Mm, um, and they okay. last about 30 years. So they last a lot longer than windmills. Um, when so, I think of that, um, uh, I, I guess just as a, a regular person, um, when I think of uh, beach towns and, and stuff like that, when I even think about um, people building houses near the water, I think, why are you doing that? It's just going to get taken out by the next like hurricane or big storm or nor'easter that's going to happen how do you respond to people that um uh that say oh well what if we we have a hurricane like every three years or so don't you think yeah. that that's going to get destroyed yeah um so yeah that's one of good a good worry um unlike windmills these are below the surface of the water about three mm. meters below the surface of the water um, oh okay so deep that boats can still go over top of it. Um, there's really no disruption to the surface um, practices around it. Um, fishing might just have to adjust where they fish right there. Mm, um, like lobster traps and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, anything like that. Nets, lobster traps, anything. Um, but because it's so deep under the water, it, there, there really hasn't been any worry. Um, the largest tidal energy um, plant right now, or tidal farm it's called, is in South Korea. Um, okay. It's called the Siwa Energy Plant. It has about 24 tidal turbines. Um, wow. And they haven't had any issues. Um, they haven't had any issues with any of that. Same, France has one. Um, and so does Scotland, Ireland, I believe. Canada has one. Um, there's about six different countries that practice in large-scale tidal power. Um, and haven't had any issues with that stuff. Um, I mean, obviously you're going to come into a, a issue every once in a while, but that's, that's just what happens. Yeah. But in terms of worry about mother nature, because of where they are and because they're built to move with the tides and they adjust with the tides, if it goes faster or slower and the water starts moving, the turbine just adjusts. Yeah. So, so it sounds like, um, I guess the only other, I'm trying to imagine being on the other side of the table as the person that's uh, considering whether or not I want to use this. Mm -hmm. I guess if I'm that person, like who would be that person on the other side of the table? Would that be a, a company? Would that be like a, yeah. a town? It is going to be locals. Locals won't like the idea of it because a lot of times people aren't educated on things. You have to educate first before you even attempt to do anything. Mm, okay um locals uh big companies power companies in the area are not going to like a renewable coming in especially if it's a coal industry mm, um that's a or, perfect example of sunk cost as well yeah yeah coal i mean the amount of, like i said the amount of energy you lose um is ridiculous in coal but that's what people are used to in certain areas um same with um natural gas and stuff like that so you really have to worry about that. And then um, politicians. Politicians are another big boundary because a lot of them get a lot of money from big, big companies. Mm. Um, so politicians, locals, companies, um, local businesses such as tourism, recreation, and fishing are mm. not going to like it because they might have to adjust. Mm. However, um, there's easy ways to fix this such as um, – converting jobs so if we were to take um, a oil platform by the water that produces things for oil and we're saying hey we're going to turn you into title 
There's still mm-hmm. jobs to convert factories into tidal production plants to build the turbines. There is the conversion of oil platforms into tidal platforms where you will monitor and do all the work on tidal energy. Um, fishing, the fishermen, they're the best form to talk to about the water because they know it more than anyone else. So there's mm-hmm. ways to tie in these local things. Um, recreational tourism groups ask them to run stuff for you in terms of ecotourism or education they can run tours around the turbines mm-hmm. um, so i mean there's there's all these ways to change you really just have to find it so there's always going to be pushback though mm-hmm. it doesn't matter how amazing or how good an idea is there's always going to be pushback i remember hearing about um this is totally off topic but uh do you remember the Concord, that plane that was that was able to do New York to uh like China or New York to London super super fast and yeah. and there was pushback against it and then we don't have it anymore? Mm-hmm. It sounds like like things that can be created that could be really beneficial um uh sometimes get pushed back cuz we're not ready for them yet. Yeah, it, it gets pushed back because of we're not ready. It gets pushed back because other industries don't want the threat. Mm. Um, other industries can't afford it. Some people can't afford them. Um, so there's always, yeah, that that would be the biggest pushback. I'd imagine with the, the Concorde, I mean, that thing flew twice the speed of sound. Um, it's crazy. Yeah, I think, <laughs> yeah, the top speed was like over 1,400 miles per hour or something like that. Um, but it, yeah, it's it's something that is gonna have the pushback because plane industries are gonna be a threat, and they have a huge influence. Mm. Yeah, I. So if you're this person that's on the other side of the table, so it sounds like like it's really stressing the idea of job creation and um, adding to the community rather than taking from it, and and when you talk about things like like solar panels and i think about things that um are rechargeable batteries like the the tesla battery that's that's in mm-hmm. um uh all of his elon's cars elon musk cars yeah. um i i hear pushback from friends of mine that talk about um uh yeah the, these people who are stressing that uh, all of these things are so environmentally friendly uh they're so dumb because they don't realize that um uh like the battery itself and uh, like the disposal of the battery itself is like so bad for the environment that you're canceling it out so like that's things that i've heard from friends of mine and so i just wanted to hear from you about like like some people that come up to you and they're like yeah you want us to do this but like i feel like what you're doing is getting canceled out or or i'm i'm frustrated or this is what i've heard how how do you respond to things like that? And does that apply to uh to title um power? Yeah, um it does. Um I'm glad that you made up that or came up with that um example though, because my friends love to get me going on that. <laughs> I'd love exact, to hear your side. <laughs> oh my gosh, that is the exact argument I always give is that with solar panels, even batteries, anything electric cars that are, are no emission. The mm-hmm. amount of energy and resources that go into building the car. And disposal. And disposal of that stuff just is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, 
that's why people are always like, oh, why won't you get a Tesla? That's why, because in all honesty, I might not be putting anything out into the environment when I'm driving it, but when I'm building it, it's it's ridiculous. So describe how ridiculous it is, because I don't know if people know. Yeah, I mean, so the main thing, I'll, I'll start with solar panels. Okay. Solar panels, one of the main ingredients in a lot of them are silica. Um, mm. Silica is a big thing, and it's to the point now that silica is pretty much an endangered resource we're pretty much running out of it or starting to run out of it is Um, it is it mined is it made um it is something that is yeah it's 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 an it's a resource that's that's mined um it, it can be made you can make um silica um silica is it's a type of sand um, okay. It's it's mostly made of quartz. Um, okay. Quartz is, is also known as silicon dioxide, uh, which is where you get kind of silica from, and it's one of the most common minerals on Earth. Um, you can get it from granite, um, gneiss, and sandstone. So silica sands can be come can be um, extracted from those minerals. However, we're using it at such a high rate that it's kind of hard to get it now. Um, mm. or starting to see a decrease in what's available because mm-hmm. um, we're moving at such a fast um a fast track on in a certain way instead of going slowly um yeah so it really just depends now in, in terms of tesla um it's it's believed that the scrap from what was called their gigafactory which is kind of where they where they make a bunch of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Cost about cost the company at least one hundred fifty million dollars. Wow. Yeah. Um, that's Wait. A so lot you're saying money. that the 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 scrap is in like the cost to dispose it? Yeah. Um. Or just what's left off. They they believe that about forty wow. percent. Yeah, forty percent of raw materials used to make the batteries and the units in Tesla um have to be scrapped or reworked um really before, yeah before they're even sent to the tesla factory in california to build with the cars um so that's 40 percent loss wow so it's not just like oh i'm i'm making my battery you're actually for like i'm having my battery made for my car and then it's getting sent to me and then i have no environmental impact until it's disposed i think that it cancels out so i want to get this this car and um i it's it's to me it's the same thing as getting like a a a gas car it's just i don't want to have to pay for gas all the time um but you're not actually just doing that you like have a bunch of uh batteries that like didn't make it (laughs) that were being paid for you until (laughs) they've actually made the one for you so it's a little bit worse than what you think it is exactly like for example um i read recently that for so let's say Tesla makes in their Gigafactory about 2,500 batteries okay? okay, and driving units. Um, at the same time, they also make about 1,000 more that won't work. Wow. Don't fit. Um, half of those are going to be reused and made into other car parts. So that's good. Okay. But you still have about 500 pieces out of... Uh, 3500 that are going to become scrap and so where does that go um it really depends i mean that kind of stuff that's uh, when that's getting scrapped that's hard to 
find somewhere that you can get rid of it in a safe mm-hmm. manner. Um, for a long time, U.S. was sending all of our electronic scrap to Thailand and China and Asian countries that were specifically dealing with that um, and getting rid of it. And really, they would either break it down and try to recycle it or they'd bury it. Yeah, because you'd have either disposal facilities, but I'm sure everybody's seen the photos where it's just it like it's so hard to even process the pictures that you're seeing where you're seeing literally people living on just like trash as far as you can see it's hard to imagine as someone who like grew up in a suburb and it's it's really nice and you just put your trash out to the curb and then it just disappears and and you dispose of your your tech when it, it doesn't work anymore you put your tv that is broken out on the curb and it disappears and then you see this and it's it's hard to even understand yeah yeah it's i mean it's it's we don't realize that yeah we get rid of it but we don't nobody really cares where it goes once you get rid of it so it sounds like there's a bunch of different roles you can be in and i in my mind i'm like making up roles that i don't even know are actual roles but i i see you could be sitting there and the person on the other side is hiring you as a consultant um to uh fix problems and and uh um do testing and 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 ease them into a more sustainable way to save money um and but there's also times where either it's you or it's you and an organization where you're looking at a company that has public records of what they're doing and has negative uh uh impact on the environment and they're not hiring you uh for the job but you see what's going on and when you're in that position like what do you do do you is that a government thing or or do you try to reach out to them like how how does that work yeah so um it can be a government thing it could be a private practice that you're being hired out um that's the the one thing with this field that i'm going into the nice thing about it is there's just so many different possibilities things you can do Mm. um I mean, I, I, whether it's consultancy or just governmental work, um, there's always something new that you can find to do, um, or to be working in. So it, it really, honestly, it just depends on the, the, the situation. And that could even change. It could be, it could change from one day to the next with what you're doing or how it, how it is. Mm. Yeah. So, so it might be a governmental thing, but then, if you even move into that, and I know that you're, you're, have, have you started your grad school yet? Or is that starting in the fall? Um, it will start in the fall. Um, okay. But, but um, I'm, sh- yeah, I assume ahead. that you took classes in it so far, right? I have, I've taken international law, international relations, um, national relations, and I've taken so many different ones. So I'm, I'm just curious in, in like what that world is like and, and how you even understand and uh find the problems that are happening um because to me if i'm if i'm looking at a problem in my world um sometimes you just have to like interview people that are interacting with your product and uh to figure out what the problems are what's not working and all that kind of stuff um how how would you start if you were in the role of a um sustainable lobby or a lawmaker or things like that. How would you even figure out what's going on? 
Yeah, it's the exact same. Um, mm-hmm. first thing, first thing would be to collect some data, um, and analyze it. Where is this issue stemming from? Um, what what kind of things might be causing this? From there, you just really have to talk to people. Um, one of the biggest things in that I've learned, at least, is how important it is to talk to people and find out what it is that they, whether it be the companies themselves or just people in general, what do you think is the issue? Mm. And then you take that and you take that and you go to someone else and ask them about it. And you kind of just branch off and branch off. Um, that's the biggest thing. I mean, you look at big policy like the Paris Accords, one of the biggest environmental actions in the last 10 years um, in terms of international bodies. That's something where they sat there and they just talked about it for a few days. Mm. And they kind of had to figure out what are we going to worry about? What are we looking at? Um, It's a lot of communication before you can do anything. You have to really talk to everyone and you have to appease all the different parties at play. Mm -hmm. Also getting information from each party as to what they're worried about, what they want to worry, work on um, before you can do anything. So what, what parties would those be? So let's say, yeah, let's say you're in the role of, um, uh, environmental lawmaker and you're, you're on a panel, you're in a large organization. Um, who would, what would be the parties that you would be doing, um, uh, interviews and testing with? Um, yeah, yeah I'm curious. Yeah. So there's a few big ones. One stakeholders who holds something to gain or lose in whatever action you're going to be doing. Got it. Those are called the stakeholders. You need to talk to them and you need to find out because they are going to be one of the biggest groups. Um, next is in- interest groups and lobbyists. Um, you have to talk to them because honestly, they're going to have such a hand in things because um, they're the ones that are influencing and kind of have the influence and have the talking, like the effect to kind of put something in someone's ear and really get things moving. Um, mm. So stakeholders... The relationships they have with like senators and exactly. lawmakers, yeah, with senators with with community bodies, anything you really want to get lobbyists and um, interest groups, non governmental organizations on your side. If you can get a group of them to start working with you, it's going to help you a lot. Mm. The stakeholders, interest groups, and lobbyists, um, uh, you have to find people who can help fund whatever the project is. Mm. If, the group you're working with can't fund it. You have to find people who might be able to. And mm. those people will end up falling under stakeholders, but you need them to at least start with, will you help fund this issue? What's an example of a stakeholder? Would that be a company or would this be a philanthropic thing? Yeah, it could be either one. It could be a company. So um I'm trying to think of an example. So okay. So let's say um that eh, forget it um yeah so it could be (laughs) either yeah it could be the company itself because they're going to be at stake um think of it that way so they are making the effort so it it has to pay off Mm. it doesn't pay off they stand to lose something big if it does pay off they stand to gain something and possibly move on um Mm, if it's a philanthropic good Oh yeah, so like an example of something that they could gain would be like the monetary revenue exactly. from the um the water uh 
energy source. Yeah. So monetary gain, it could be more customer base um, mm. and just more support. Those three things can be all, all, all things that they gain. Um, in terms of philanthropic, I'm just going to say for one thing, uh, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation that gives so much money to so many different groups. Mm, okay. I start a project and I get funding from them and my project just totally just fails. Mm-hmm. They're down the money that they gave me now. Mm. So they're kind of at stake that they're putting money into something that has to work. Think of it as a, the show Star, Shark Tank. Yeah. Oh, I guess that would yeah. be so funny if they made one for you. I know. <laughs> but, Shark, but Shark Tank is a great example. I mean, they give the money. They're putting their faith in something to work. And if it doesn't work, they're down money. Mm, and okay. they had and they gained nothing. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that would those would really be the stakeholders. And I'm guessing that the way that you pitch, um, if you're looking at it from from just this business perspective, transactional, I give you money. My stake is the revenue that can be generated from this more sustainable, um, smarter, more efficient way that you're going to go about this activity. Um, exactly. There, there's a pitch that you're going to be doing to these people. I'm mm-hmm. guessing. Yeah. And so if I'm thinking just realistically based on human uh uh psychology, uh your pitch would be um not anything about like moral or um any of the the heartstrings things. It would be more about um like understanding data visualization and understanding how to communicate with these people. Are are you uh planning on learning about um, really pitching and, and data visualization and working with databases to communicate your research to these people that want to invest in you? Yeah. So um, I'll, I'll start with one thing and then I'll go into that. Um, so okay. yeah, the, and the pitch will change depending on who you're pitching to. Mm. If it's a group that really is interested in data and you know that you're going to change your pitch to be more data-based. Mm. If it's a group that's more interested in overall um good of the people or good things that might help the people out you're going to want to address the negatives but then overwhelm it with the benefits mm. um so your pitch is really going to change i'm i'm planning on getting some experience this this fall one of my classes that i'm involved in um with uh dr karen pooley is her name she runs the program at at lehigh that i'm in mm. um the environmental law and policy program she has a class it's a workshop um and it's writing policy for the city of bethlehem oh neat so it's gonna be hands-on doing this stuff but we're gonna have to really find out how to go about all of that that we just talked about Mm. um so it, it really it's something that you need to learn at one point or another it's not something that you can just learn from trial and error because if it if you get too much error it's not going to keep going what does that mean? Too much air. Yeah. So I mean, trial and error. Trial. Oh, error. Is, I thought yeah. you meant air. A I R. Oh yeah, no error. error. <laughs> trial and error. Yeah. Got it. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. And um, and I, I just thought of that when you said that people may be interested in, in like the good and the, the morals of it, but uh, you you could also in other than um than monetary gain, uh, some people may be really interested in like the monetary gain that they could get from um good pr like exactly knowing knowing that their their target market is interested in this and that they're putting efforts into that 
that's a whole different transaction between you and the company that's investing in you. Exactly. And sometimes you have to be careful because they might do something that you don't even realize that you, by doing one little thing, will totally change your entire client base. Mm. Um, in a you know, That could be either in a good way or a bad way. Um, mm. For example, um, if you look at... Um, if you look at it the other day, I don't know if any if you had seen it or if anyone else saw it. Um, there was an interview after one of the um, FIFA soccer games um, where Cristiano Ronaldo sat down. Yes. And, yeah. <laughs> there were two bottles. There were two bottles. There were like three bottles of Coke in front of him um, that they just had because Coke was um, sponsoring it, and mm-hmm. he sat down and picked up the Coke bottles and moved them away and then picked up a bottle of water and like specifically pointed that he picked up a bottle of water. Um, and it was, infl- it was, it was estimated. I mean, and this isn't true or not, um, but they, they varied that they believe that the claim was Coke lost about four to $5 billion from that, from that action. Yeah. Um, some groups say it's not true. Some groups say it did. Um, but apparently the market value of Coke went from 242 billions to 238 billion. So him just by moving two bottles wow. of Coke, his entire fan base like just this followed along and it totally influenced something. So I mean, while Cristiano Ronaldo might have been a tool for their marketing, mm-hmm. he did something that backfired and the whole entire like um client base changed. So the stakeholders in that were probably not very happy. The, the, I got this story sent to me recently and I didn't really get it because I'm uh, American and I don't really follow uh, European soccer or football as much. And then I, uh, my boyfriend is from Eastern Europe. And so I asked him about it. I'm like, why, how did this happen that it really affected it that much? And he said, yeah, he, he moved over the bottles, picked up the water, said, like agua like this is like you should take this and and i said okay so like what's the issue and he said the number of kids all over the world that completely idolize him and want to be him might not ever drink coke again because he's saying that as an athlete if you want to be like me drink water Water. not soda Mm -hmm. and i then i got it and i was like oh my gosh that's so significant He's got uh this guy yeah I mean he's a guy that has more than about um not 109 million people on Facebook following him. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it's it's so I mean you can do these little actions and it'll either pay off or it won't and that's when yeah. you got to be careful and you really got to know what you're doing first, do the research before you do that. So if they had done a little more research they might have not put that in front of him. Um but it it really just depends. That's really incredible. So like an example of how that would be for you is if something that you're doing um, backfires or it leaks or something like that and that got out, the the key people that are sponsoring you that are your like public sponsors, that really could affect them poorly, I'm guessing. Exactly. So um, even if it's just in a town, so um, oil leaks, gas leaks, those are mm-hmm. a great, great example. Um, so, yeah, so oil spills or anything like that, um, 
there was a movie. I don't know if you had seen it or if you had heard of it. Um, came out a couple years ago. Dark Waters, it was called. Um, with yes, I saw the trailer for this. Yeah. yeah, where he it was. It's based on a true story. Um, where I believe it was. Oh, I believe it was Dupont. Um, had all this 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 oil and stuff running into the waters and their stuff was contaminating the town with um chemicals that were unregulated the pfoas yeah um, which everyone's so worried about now rightfully so um what's a pfoa um pfoas are just basically different a, a, a very strong group of chemicals um got it okay it's uh perf oh, what is it acid. I believe. That doesn't sound good. Yeah, no. It's, <laughs> um, it's using Teflon. It man, it's what's used in Teflon, which was that stuff in nonstick pans that like was giving everyone like that everyone was like, oh, it's going to give you cancer. It's not healthy for you at all. Yeah. Um. So people were drinking this. Yeah, it was leaking, and it was is leaking into the waters. It was leaking into everything. It was killing. Um. It was basically causing the um cows and like all the livestock in the area that was eating the contaminated grass or the contaminated water it was making them go mad with mad cow and all oh. the issues that affected a whole town which then went to a larger story which got spread around and spread around and then that basically turned dupont for that that action into a villain and it spread around um mm. one small group can eventually spread to a very large group based on how you paint the image. And um, in terms of understanding, I guess I, I try to follow things and understand like who did that, whose fault is it? I guess you could say that um, it could be the the leadership in terms of they didn't uh, value. Um, and I'm talking with no knowledge of exactly what's happening, but yeah. I, I'm guessing that, it could be the leadership in in saying that they didn't value um, hiring enough people to maintain everything and understand the sustainability and make sure that they're following according to the law. Because it sounds like they weren't meeting their their standards. You don't know if um if they uh had investments in like maybe politicians or something like that or or lobbies in which um they weren't getting audited as much because sometimes that happens. These are all my guesses. And then you could also say that it might not be the leadership's fault because if they were uh, investing in uh, sustainability efforts and just like the people that they hired weren't uh, making the efforts that they should have been, even if they invest all of that uh, and the people that are actually carrying it out aren't doing their jobs, then it all comes out to the same result. I was just wondering your thoughts on that. Yeah, um, it's both of those, but there's also a third one where the leadership or the people in charge of the company are doing enough in the way that they're hiring people who are so good at hiding what they're not mm, doing. Got it. And that's where you get things like this. I mean, that's really the big thing that you see a lot um, is that they hide or they find people who are so good at getting rid of things and hiding things that you don't realize the bad things that they're doing. Mm. That, so the the way to counteract that would be, I'm guessing, like audits, testing, yeah, stricter just, regulation. Just, yeah, just trying to uh, follow them because I'm I, th when I think of that, I think of 
like the world of hacking where mm-hmm. you you try to hack like the people try to hack the situation and then um the the government regulations or or like the people who try to be anti-hacking are constantly tr- learning understanding new concepts and trying to keep up with the hackers that are constantly evolving yep so it sounds like you need to uh constantly keep learning and investing more money into combating the people on the other side that are trying to outsmart you every day yeah exactly that sounds exhausting yeah it's a lot there's so many different things that you have to think about with this field that it can be just draining Oh my goodness. But so yeah, when when we it sounds like we're like talking about just like human psychology and understanding um like people's relationship with the environment and things like that, but it it does vary culture to culture and mm-hmm. it varies depending on your mindset about that. And I'm really excited to talk about the next thing because uh you um uh sent me your paper to read over and I I really loved it and you talked about how culture and religion can really affect the way that people interact with the environment and understand uh like their understanding of what they're responsible for and what they're not responsible for yeah. and I really want to talk about that now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um but yeah so uh so you you talked about specifically um understanding like uh um judaism and and christianity and and in your paper but um do you want to like just give like a brief overview over it and then we can like dive into specific parts yeah absolutely so um yeah my paper was it was part of a class called ecology and religion um with dr kami takahashi and it was honestly one of my favorite classes that i ever take took um and the whole thing built up to one final paper that you wrote and I wrote this paper on enacting environmental change by looking at Pope Francis um, as a catalyst for the environmental movement in the Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I learned in this class um, was just how intertwined environmentalism was with religion. Um, we talked about the idea of what's called dark green religion. Um, mm. Dark green religion is the idea that the environment itself can be seen as a religion so finding time in the environment being out in nature um is where you find your serenity your spiritualistic uh beliefs that the environment itself is a religion Mm -hmm. um i looked at that i looked at how different actions and different things that the pope has said um has spurred environmental movement within the catholic church and catholic belief um as well as just putting the environmental movement into the viewpoint of religion um it's it's once again taking something that people have grown up with for hundreds of years um thousands of years even like but something that we've grown up with a religion something that people practice and believe um something that influences the way people think and and changing it or introducing a new way to think about it um and, you know, but one thing that was interesting, I mean, yeah, that was the biggest thing. That was the, the grand overview. Yeah. And and I thought it was really interesting in uh, the way that you made comparisons between like four specific religions mm-hmm. in terms of um, uh, kind of like 
the way that um not just like the people but just the way that according to the written um like scripture or writings that talk about um uh whichever god or gods that they have the the directions that they've been given about their environment where you look at um uh, a couple different native american religions um and you look at buddhism um where you have um uh gods for different elements and i hope i'm getting this right <laughs> it's not my background but um uh, uh you have gods for different religions and you have this respect for the um uh the resources that are out there and um uh in terms of at least the native american religions um and i know that's generalizing them but uh the one that you talked about in your paper um having different uh go- like deities for um the river the the wood the um just the different resources and and having this thought in your mind where you you have to respect this deity that is presiding over the resource that you're going to take whereas in some more um uh, like christian or jewish religions um the the instructions that you're given is um uh you are you are granted this land by god um this is given to you as a gift um you are chosen by god and there's like a very different interaction where you have this one-to-one interaction between god and you um uh giving you the gift of the earth uh meanwhile you have you and any deity that you interact with that day depending on how you walk around and and it, it seems more of like a community feel rather than this one-on-one interaction and i hadn't thought about religion that way in a long time and it was kind of funny since we're from the same town i uh i think that uh <laughs> my my church growing up and uh and your temple were like on the same street and that's how like nearby we are <laughs> um but uh but yeah I, I i would love to talk about that yeah um i mean yeah that's the main idea is that even if you don't realize it the environment plays some role in religion Mm -hmm. um whether it is native american traditions where there are specific um deities or spirits for certain elements themselves um or that the element itself is a deity the sun is a deity anything like that um or buddhism where it's all about respecting specific things in nature because they themselves have a spirit um or just christianity and judaism where the land itself is holy um and plays some sort of role um it's something that not a lot of people realize or look into or or even think about but it's there um Mm -hmm. you just kind of got to dig a bit um and i mean it it ends up playing a huge role the influence in it i mean when Pope Francis came out and started talking more and more about addressing climate change head on um, in his encyclical Laudato Si, um, he talked about it head on. The Catholic Church sector makes up the largest division of fossil fuel divestments in the world, um, meaning that they are moving away from fossil fuels and that they are they themselves, that sector is investing in other things. Um about thirteen trillion dollars of divestment from Catholic sector, and when people t- hear the word divestment versus investment, investment means putting money into 
these categories. Divestment means you're taking money out of those categories and putting them into other things like renewable energy, going into renewable energy and taking out of uh, oil investments. Yeah, right? so it's it's okay. yeah, it's pretty much selling off um, any interests or investments that you have. So if the Catholic sector had any investments at all in something that was fossil fuel related, whether it be where they're getting their energy from or they're investing in certain groups, um, they 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 get rid of it. They they stop doing it, and that would be a divestment. Mm. And and you talked about um, Latido C. I from what I'm understanding. Uh, it was a open letter written by Pope Francis talking about the relation. I'm just wondering, was it just about um, the relationship like man has with earth and resources or was it kind of like his views on a lot of different things? Yeah. So um, it was pretty much the idea of us caring for our common home, um, AKA earth though. I mean, he talks about everything. He talks about what it means to be a Catholic, what it means to be um, a pers- a human being. Um, but he also was one of the first um, papal figures that talked about the environment and addressing climate change itself as a whole. Um, addressing that climate change exists, it's human-made, and that we can make a difference. Um, so no, the whole thing wasn't just about that. Um, it was about everything, but he actually addressed this in it and it was it was a huge turning point um in in the how how the the church church like acts on it um i mean he he talks about when we speak of the environment what we really mean is a relationship existing between nature and the society which lives in it um and that nature can't be regarded as something separate from ourselves or as a mere setting in which we live um and basically from there he talks about how we have to work as a human as the human population work as earth to to make a difference because it's not separate anything we do has an effect on the earth and vice versa mhm i the way that he he talked about it was really interesting because from my own uh interaction with um uh I like I come from like a Christian background where I like went to I grew up going to church like every Sunday and a lot of my friends um outside of school were from church um and and a lot of my friends uh were in like other religions that were a little bit more hardcore <laughs> than like other other Christian denominations that were a little bit more hardcore than I was um but uh, the the idea of him talking about um uh global warming and uh, climate change um, that's a term i want to go with um mm-hmm. it's it's really interesting to for him to talk about science and talk about how um uh, it's a study of of the earth that god gave us and uh and saying that it that that having studying the earth and 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 studying what's going on is actually like this really great thing because you're getting closer to this this amazing religious beautiful thing that exists and i think that's a really great way to look at it because some people that i know they're it's it's like something that they're like not comfortable talking about and with with so much of the u.s um kind of being in that mindset him talking about it more openly and 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 taking that in i feel 
gave a lot of people a lot of um uh just like peace of mind of just this this totally is something that you can be comfortable talking about like it's it's not anything that's going against the values of your family from generations and generations like there's nothing that that is going on here that is um uh going against your identity as a christian person and so i i think that him saying that was was really really great do do you think that that affected people that way Oh, 100%. It, it it allowed people to kind of open up their minds and look into things more. I mean, they're now more interested in that, not more interested, but they're, they're more comfortable about talking about it. It's something that's not just science now. Um, it's something that it might be science based, but it's something that can be addressed and comforting um, in, in terms of religion. I, um, I remember. Oh, yeah. Keep, keep it going. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm done. Oh, yeah, I, um, so I don't know how you feel about this, and it always is strange when I bring it up with people, but then it's also strange to, like, preface it like this, because, like, when I go to other countries, it's, like, not a big deal, and nobody cares, but, um, so I remember, what year was it? I think it was, uh, sophomore year, when we were in high school, um, it was the first time I ever realized that there's a lot of people that don't believe in evolution, um, I just didn't know that that was a thing. And so this might have been like super obnoxious and rude, but I, <laughs> I like, I was just really curious. So like, uh, we had like eight periods in a day, like, uh, class periods, I think. Um, and so just every class period, I just like asked all of my friends that I was in class with, I was like, do you believe in evolution? And if you're listening from another country, you might be laughing at me right now, but literally, um, I'd say 60 to 70% of the people, no, maybe like 50% of the people that I asked said, no i don't and they were like really uncomfortable with me talking about it and some of them got like really passionate that i was wrong uh i I wasn't even like saying what i believed i just said like do what do you think and i remember being in a science class um i forget which level it was in high school but girls literally um that i knew were like getting questions wrong on their tests because they were like i don't believe this um and things like that. And so it's, it's definitely strange because I, I, um, I, it's always something that I feel kind of like nervous or weird talking about because I told you like a lot of my friends growing up were religious and, and it was strange to talk to them because they would, uh, they'd get like, I don't know, just like weird about it. Um, and then I go to college and then I meet kids that are international students from like Eastern Europe or, um western europe or china or other places like that and they're like of course like what what do you mean like there it's like not as much of a thing so yeah. is this kind of like an american thing i i don't i don't know is it like a overall religious thing uh, you know that's i i have no clue it could either <laughs> be just like that it's something that i mean i will say that there are certain religious groups in the united states that you might not find in other places that are more Mm. i mean you look at um what the westboro baptist church Mm. i mean they're they're pretty radical in some of their views so i mean it really just depends it could be that people are are just take the scripture so much to heart and follow that stuff Mm. or that it's it is an american thing but it, uh, it really just depends i mean you look at people though who are in the sciences um some people base everything on science Mm. um some people base everything on word 
Um, so it really just depends. Yeah, I was I was talking with somebody and and we were um talking about religion and then we were also talking about um other things and uh like science and and people that that only uh look at everything in the scientific lens and uh he was uh eastern orthodox that was his background um but he uh looked at things um he identified as like an agnostic person where he's like mm-hmm. <laughs> he's like i hope things are great after i die but i don't know but because i don't know i'm not going to just assume that it's not that was like his way of looking at it um and he was talking about how um uh like absence of science and absence of understanding that that's super important is a big issue but also absence of um uh religion and uh just community it doesn't have to be a religion but just like this community of uh teaching morals of how to treat people how do you interact with people respect like that that's what i see when i uh um look at religion i don't really look at this like hard set of rules i i look at it as like people trying to teach you how to be an, a good person and how to respect people that can't give you anything you're not getting anything out of them you're just being nice to them because it's nice to be nice to people <laughs> and so yeah so i i was i was wondering like um uh it it seems like there's th- this balance that that happens where um it's really dangerous to only have the scripture and, and the religion and just like push everything to the side um because you're just going to like run out of earth at some point <laughs> and and but it's also tough when um when you look at everything in an analytical lens um and you you kind of lose that like community humanity side of religion yeah i mean i think that's one of the, the the big things i mean one of the ways that i kind of think of it is if if you are if you are looking at it in this way um religion is the ideas of how to treat others and how to live um in in a in a in a morally acceptable way i guess um mm-hmm. but at the same time i mean it depends on what 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 morals you're accepting from it um mm-hmm. for the most part a lot of the lessons i'll say taking lessons from it and using it to interpret it in a way that you think is the best way to live. Um, and science is kind of using those to find factual data um, and see how it aligns with your views. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I think that there's absolutely a balance that can be made. And, and obviously every every person is different. But I think that just like having both and like really understanding uh I mean I feel like what everything that I'm saying right now is like super obvious but um it's 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 so different especially with where you're going in your life and in your career because you're going to have to um deal with this balance like forever um because you're in politics there's a lot of um religion in America that's like always going to be there and it's always going to be present in uh politics and just making the the thing that you said before of appeasing all parties and making sure everybody's on board that's really hard and sometimes impossible so um do you have do you have any thoughts on like that that life that you're going to go into and um and preparing for it and trying to make uh um uh compromises and and working with people that um are are kind of in this mindset yeah i mean you really that's the hardest thing is you have to find things that work for everyone 
benefit everyone, um, have have their pluses and minus for each different group at play. Um, mm-hmm. And that's one of the hardest things is finding some because nobody, not everyone wants the same thing. Um, so it might be taking one thing and finding 50 other things that might come off of it that appease multiple different people. The main, the main idea is you have to find more positives than negatives. Mm-hmm. You have more positives than negatives and more people are going to do it. Um, I mean, just, this is just jumping back to a whole nother topic again. Um, modern day construction and the way that we live. Um, there's something called a green roof, which is, or a living roof, which is where you'll see certain buildings have all these plants built on top of it. Um, they hold 80% more water than a regular roof. So they're going to retain it instead of everything just running off the roof. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to create more cleaner air because of all the plants living on it. And they act as a good source of insulation. There's no downside to it. Apart from that, it might be a little bit more expensive to install. But you, I mean, it's pretty to look at. And it looks cool. I mean, you've got to find these things that people people are more interested in doing. Um or make it something that people want to do. Tiny house movement. Mm. People love the idea of a tiny house. Um, some people m- won't live in it, but they think the idea is cool. I mean, it's it's presenting stuff in that way that I might do it, but that seems really cool. Or, oh, that's pretty neat. Maybe I can support that, but I'm not going to do it. And and that's that even is just the goal. They don't have to do it. They have to support it, though. And that's your goal is to get people to support something because it's easier to do it then. Mm, doesn't matter yeah. they do it as long as they're supporting it and you don't have any pushback from them that's a win and when i'm I'm thinking about the way that you would talk with people i see it as um uh you I'm trying to think of the right way to say this i see it as you presenting the solution really really testing it out making sure that what you're saying is actually right everything that you're um you're claiming uh can't be uh debunked because you didn't put the time in to understand like exactly where all of the resources are coming in for this solution exactly what's coming out really understanding your stuff but also i f- i feel like right now people say oh if you're on team a like you believe this you're never gonna ar- agree with team b and that could really be anything that could be like different lobby sides that could be different companies that could be even just like different religions different ideologies but the understanding that um i feel like most people want the same thing like most yeah. people want just like clean water and safe schools and and like a better environment for their kids and i feel like there's a lot of like divisiveness but i i can't really see why people wouldn't want most mostly the same things yeah exactly i mean that's 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 something that you just got to kind of get people to um like i said support it they don't have to do it you don't have to do this but hey if you support this um it's gonna in the end like be better for everyone um, yeah. And you kind of got to find that target group of what are they worrying about and kind of you might not need to do this, but it's going to like um, if you're talking to grandparents about something, you're going to want to say how it influences their grandchildren. Mm. I mean, you're going to want to find something that they care about and kind of use it to, hey, you don't necessarily have to do this yourself, 
but if you do this, it's gonna help this in the end. Oh, okay. Mm. Like, yeah, something like that. When it, when it comes to uh, learning about, um, uh, I guess the, the the business of design and and working as a web designer, um, the top th- three things that uh, um, that get people to want to work with me would probably be the top three things that would want people that would get people to want to vote for what you are proposing or the policy that you're trying to pass and those three things are um they they know you they like you and they trust you yeah and literally. and those things are so hard to cultivate but really just being consistent and and really doing your work and making sure that nothing that you're presenting is ever misleading and it's really clear and and really understanding what they want um sounds like a really good way of of passing what you're what you know would be helpful through 1000 percent. i mean even you said this the way of design with website the one thing with with at least with me and with my field that i found you have to know how things are designed in order to go about sustainability Mm. um like I said, clothing and textiles, I, you have to know how those things are farmed and designed and cultivated in order to switch to something better like hemp. Um, mm-hmm. Construction, you have to know how roads are designed and the infrastructure is made um, before you can change, how, change it to be um, more environmentally friendly. There's a group in Philly called uh, Aero Aggregates that mm-hmm. makes... Um, insulation for roads and all this other stuff i believe they actually just finished a huge project at the airport philadelphia airport um these guys take recycled glass fully recycled glass bottles anything that they just get from places clean Mm -hmm. them sanitize them pulverize them into a powder and then mix it with this foam that then hardens and automatically breaks apart into these little bitty like rock looking things um they weigh nothing and it's called a foam glass aggregate and they can use it for um insulation on roads construction all that stuff and it works the same way that traditional insulation of rock and anything else works um yeah i mean it's it's awesome they're called aero aggregates but they i mean it what was it they um one truckload of like their stuff, their rock or whatever you want to call it, can hold up to a hundred cubic yards of insulation. Doesn't seem like a lot, but what they can carry in the one truck from this stuff because it's so light and it's still strong, um, takes about ten trucks with regular traditional insulation methods such as rocks and stuff like that. So, wait, wait, wait. So can you just? I, I had issues uh visualizing that. So you yeah, said yeah, that so, like yeah, yeah. So I'll start again. One, um, yeah. Okay. Okay, so let's say we have one big transportation truck. Okay. We load it up with this foam glass aggregate, this FGA. Got it. Um, that FGA in that truck carries 100 cubic yards in it. So there's 100 cubic yards worth of this FGA in that truck. Mm-hmm. That takes about mm, 5 to 10 trucks for regular traditional methods such as wow. stuff like that because of the weight. Wow. So, I mean, it's, it's, it, 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 not only is it a safer way to make stuff with using recycled materials like the glass and then the foam, which really doesn't, isn't that bad. 
Um, but it, it cuts down on the amount of trucks that are transporting it, which cuts down on emissions. Um, and even like human power of yeah, just being there, power. unloading it. Literally, human power. It weighs nothing. I mean, I met this. I met the CEO at a at a, a sustainability conference. I helped host at Muhlenberg. Um, I, when I was Muhlenberg's climate action intern, um, and and we hosted this huge sustainability conference, all the schools in the area, and he was there because Moravian is doing research on it for him. Um, mm-hmm. And he gave me a, pe- a couple pieces of this stuff, and I mean, it, it's it's amazing. It's it's porous, so. If water flows through and the water freezes, um, and it breaks it up, it really it won't even break it up. It just kind of it doesn't go through it. It's non-porous, so the water can't get wow. in, it. Kind of it easily flows through, so it's better for irrigation. Um, I mean, this stuff is cool, but it's important for sustainability and anything else with that to understand how other things are designed and made to come up with a better way of doing it, like coming up with these foam glass aggregates. And I think another thing that, that it's really important to talk about is that um, you can look at this as if you're, if it's more comfortable looking at it, you could look at this just as a sustainable business practice. Yeah. Because I think a lot of people um, uh, get really apathetic because of, family members or people that that um use this as like a social virtue thing and and it makes people just not want to have anything to do with it at all especially when they see people doing things as um saying that they're sustainable and that they're better for the environment when in all actuality like the amount of work and effort that it takes to make that product and dispose of it it makes it null um i feel like some people they just like get so tired of it that they like don't even want to have the conversation because of people that in my opinion sometimes act like jerks (laughs) because they they're like i'm better than you i do that and it really it sucks because what sometimes what they're actually doing actually isn't helping the environment and they're just making another person that just doesn't want to even come to the table to have a conversation do you ever feel this way yeah. Um, yeah. Honestly, all the time. I mean, any 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 conversation that we have in my field is 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 like that. I mean, and it really brings about that idea. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> it it really it really sucks when um uh when when people uh when like you're talking to somebody and they immediately like label you as like oh i have to talk to this hippie exactly i hate it they're gonna make me like put my bananas in a uh my banana peels in like a pot to compost it in my apartment my (laughs) my favorite thing is like whenever god forbid i get a plastic straw somewhere (laughs) people just jump down my throat What are you getting plastic? I think you you're sustainable. Blah blah blah. Like oh yeah, I'm sustainable, God. but uh, calm down. Like <laughs> yeah, I hate it. I hate that. I hate God. Like if I do anything that people might not think is like, oh, practice what you preach. Like yeah, I practice what I preach. I have a plastic bag right now. It's not my fault. Um, yeah. I mean, or when people don't listen to you because, like you said, oh, you're a hippie. Yeah. Yeah, like oh, that stuff drives me nuts all the time. Oh. 
I'm, I'm glad that I brought it up because it like it really uh, sucks because like and also sometimes you like don't know if somebody's being like genuine or actually knows what they're talking about like the reason I was so excited to talk to you is because I know that you're you actually know what you're talking about and like what you study and what you talk about is um is like data-based and and you actually did the research and you actually did put that together meanwhile um I have some friends that are like I'm into sustainability because I saw a couple posts on Instagram and then I bought this thing that was shipped to my house by a car that runs on gas. Yeah, or <laughs> and I'm oh, like, what is I happening? Have, I have a reusable straw because I love sea turtles. Protect the turtles. Yeah, yeah. Those that don't get me wrong. I'm glad that people make that effort, but at the same time, like, get educated. Don't just do one thing. Yeah. yeah. No, I don't. Yeah, I worked last summer. This just goes off the task. Last summer, I worked. Um, I was an intern for the Clearwater Marine Aquarium, mm-hmm. um, which is, if you've ever seen, do you remember the movie Dolphin Tale? With the yes, dolphin? I think so. Yeah, the dolphin that didn't have a tail, and it was a big movie, and like, yeah, that's where I worked with the actual dolphin and stuff. Oh, wow. But I was on the rescue team, so I was, I helped take care of and rehab a dolphin that it's, that's a full-time resident there, because he can't be returned to the wild, and I did turtle rehabilitation, sea turtle rescues and rehabilitations and wow. all this stuff. But I also got to work with the governing bodies there, the Florida Wildlife Commission, the Fish and uh, Wildlife Association, um, OSHA, um, and the NOAA, um, all these groups that, I mean, you do work for. And then people come to this aquarium, or the it's technically a marine animal hospital. They're an aquarium because they're open to the public to come see the work they're doing and meet the permanent residents but these people come and they'll they'll say oh i love this stuff oh i support this blah 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 but then when you ask them to support the efforts and conservation that they're doing or anything like that it's like oh why are you asking me for more money i just bought tickets Mm -mm. to the aquarium and you know it really it's just if you it's one thing to actually to like say you're passionate about something or see that you support something it's another to actually learn about it, educate yourself, and do things for it. So if somebody's listening and they, um, like, all of their intentions were good and, like, uh, they they feel, like, uh, personally attacked at the moment, don't worry. Like, what could they do? Like, let's say that they... Um, uh, like they're identifying with a lot of the stuff that we're, we're talking about. What's like a realistic thing that they can do? Like, let's say they're in school or they're working yeah. or something like that. They have all the intentions. Like, wh- what could they do that that they feel would actually do anything? The biggest thing, honestly, that I found is educate yourself. Um, it's great to be passionate. It's great to do all these things. I'm a huge supporter of it. Don't take anything I said <laughs> to stop doing it. Don't stop doing it. Keep doing it. Um, but the biggest thing, honestly, is just maybe find something to get involved in. Find a way to get involved mm. in something. Um, find a group that you can, if you if you like to buy stuff. I mean, if you if you consider yourself, uh, like, if you're into capitalism and you love buying stuff, don't get me wrong. <laughs> I, I love buying stuff. Um, if you, if you, find ways to do it in a more sustainable way Mm -hmm. um it's little things that that make a difference um laundry detergent buy it from a group called um pods that have fully fully recyclable boxes no plastic and they're dissolvable packs for Mm -hmm. detergent um buy hemp clothing um Mm -hmm. it's super soft 
you're gonna like it. Um, if you own a textile, uh, if you own a textile company, business, <laughs> uh, switch to hemp. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you like, just find ways to to buy sustainable. Um, there's nothing wrong with if you're going to buy stuff. Um, if you're buying furniture for a house or anything like that, there's nothing wrong with asking what is it made out of and how is it how are the resources found um because mm. there's a solid chance now that they're sustainably farmed woods or sustainably farmed stuff it's not hard to ask these simple questions or buy things that are environmentally friendly there's so many groups out there now that you can do it buy a hydro flask buy a yeti use them mm. instead of a plastic bottle it's little mm. things that are so popular now that people just buy it for the hell of it um instead of um like you know just doing it because it, it can make a difference um so it's really easy to get involved in groups find a group on your school campus find a group um maybe in your community that is doing stuff get involved in a community garden do things outside um go for a hike little things like that are gonna make a huge difference um, and so outside oh right. no, no no go ahead and and outside of like um like your personal life like let's say that somebody's looking at this not just as a student or a person working in a company that doesn't have a lot of um like authority over deciding the situations like if somebody's listening who um uh, actually does have the ability to make those decisions in terms of manufacturing or waste disposal and things like that um and and like what they do like it's just there's uh sustainability just isn't their specialty at all would you suggest are there like resources for them to go and learn or, or do, you, do you suggest like maybe that they hire a sustainability uh consultant for like a couple months just to like audit them and give them a little bit of a, a mirror reflection on what's going on yeah i mean there's there's a lot of different ways that, that you can educate yourself um if you're a big company definitely look into groups that offer um consulting um even if it's just to get information, um, find some way to educate your team or yourself. There is um, a group. It's called um, it's Climate One Hundred One, I believe. We can put um, that link in the description. So yeah. Oh, we'll be able sorry. To access yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. Climate One Hundred One. It's from the Climate Reality Project. It was started by Al Gore. Um, he it's these huge massive international trainings um on climate change and climate education it's ways to just educate yourself and you sign up and you go to them and they're around the world and al gore talks it's his program experts in the field talk about different things that you can do as a person as a business um i got into one i was supposed to go last summer and then covid hit oh. um and so i didn't get to go so i'm trying to wait for another one to start up so i can go to it but they also have free resources on their website that you can just print out and look at a presentation yourself um, or watch watch movies, watch documentaries, watch stuff to, in, to teach yourself. Um, Inconvenient Truth and Inconvenient Sequel. Yeah, it's a movie about Al Gore fighting climate change, but it's got a lot of good information in it. Um, mm -hmm. Read books. It's easy to read a book on your free time. If you're someone that likes to read books, educate yourself on these things by reading some good books. Um, or Audible, if people audible, yeah, if you or have long time. commutes. <laughs> yeah, Audible is great. Um, there's really good podcasts to listen to also for when you're not listening to this one. Uh, <laughs> I mean, 
there's 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 so many different ways to to educate yourself i mean if you if you are someone that likes to listen to podcasts there's one called how to save the world Mm -hmm. um it's it's by um one of the leading experts um she's an environmental advocate wave knee worth um okay she is from new zealand so you're gonna have to deal with the accent a bit and (laughs) don't understand but it's her and a comedian tim bat and they just talk about sustainability and how we can make a better tomorrow so there's so many different ways um to educate yourself and your team and your company and your friends um that are that are readily available like i said um climaterealityproject.org um zero waste home has resources on sustainable products and free book packaging for package free stuff um Mm. i mean there's so many different things that that are great and easy to do and then just just try some things out try some fun things out plant a garden do some composting um the biggest thing with sustainability is finding what works for you mm-hmm. um and doing it so there's no right answer there's no wrong way to do it just just trial and error for yourself yeah and if you if you have an intern that uh is in yeah, your company put them to work. Just, <laughs> yeah like uh, just <laughs> even just understanding what's going on right now just understanding how much waste is being put away and like putting a financial amount to that waste because that might give you a better idea of am I doing really well right now because you might be you might be doing really well and and utilizing all of your resources and actually using everything that you're buying but if you're wasting like hundreds of thousands of dollars on just throwing things away just even from a financial standpoint there's like so much you could gain from that and and you could either have that money for profit or you can invest that back into your company, hiring somebody to, to work on business development or anything like that. Exactly. And that seems very obvious, but, um, but it's like, use your intern. <laughs> and here's something that I highly recommend any big companies, anyone starting a business, even small business who are expanding business, their own business. If you're starting something from your house and you're looking for people to work for you, listen, Find someone to be a sustainability person. Find someone to be a sustainability intern. If you don't think your company has anything to do with the environment, you're wrong. You're probably wrong. Find someone Mm -hmm. to do the research for you, whether it's someone who's in charge of company sustainability or, hey, we're offering sustainability internships where we want you to do the research, find things that we can improve on, find what our emissions are, find what we're doing, and give us a... um, possible action plan as to how we can change mm-hmm. it's 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 free labor you don't have to pay an intern i mean trust me as experience we like to be paid but i mean <laughs> we're there for the experience yeah we're there for the you experience. can pay them a good amount <laughs> what works you for your company no, you can pay them but um, <laughs> i mean as someone who had like three unpaid internships i mean it's it's we're there for the experience so offer those internships, put them to work, let them look up their your information for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's another way to just find out how are we doing in terms of sustainability. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And so as we as we wrap up, I want to um, uh, as people have like learned about you, gotten to know your personality a bit. I want you to talk about like what what you have planned for where you want to go next. I know that. Um, uh, you're starting at Lehigh for your master's in the fall. Um, but just kind of like, 
nobody really knows exactly what's going to happen in the future, yeah. even though we plan it a lot. And then it's always something different. But um, what are your goals and kind of like what direction you're thinking about going in the future? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so when I started on this path, I, I never I didn't want to do governmental stuff. I didn't want to do policy. I wanted to be in the field doing conservation work. Mm. Now, however, moving into the future, um, I'll be going after my master's at Lehigh for law and policy, environmental law and policy, getting that experience, getting the, the necessary knowledge to do better. But um, ideally, I'd, I'd, I'd like to be working as a consultant for companies, working, doing the research on sustainability for how we can make things better, whether it be for companies or businesses or or just helping educate with education programs is to make sustainability better. So whether it's conservation efforts, policy making, editing policy, looking at policy, finding the research, I, I'm aiming to just be working for someone to to see how we can better what's happening right now in sustainability or better what we're doing in sustainability. Um it's I, I'll go anywhere. I love to travel. Um so I'm looking to experience those new things and, and looking to get out there. But really I just I just want to be doing things that are going to influence how we look at sustainability and how we in our actions um have an impact. Um whether it be for a company, like I said, or, or other groups. Um, that's, that's the main goal. That sounds perfect for you. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm, I'm... It, it seems like you're so passionate about it and it was really great talking to you about it. When, um, when are you planning on graduating from grad school in case somebody's uh, considering you? Yeah. Um, I am planning on graduating grad school in two years. So right now it's a, I'm in a certificate program. Um, but the plan is after this first semester, I'll be moving into the actual grad program full time. And um, so it's a one and a half year program. So I'll be done by mid, uh, what is it? Mid 2022. Yeah. Perfect. Okay. Sounds great. And so uh, the the wrap of the last thing that we do before we say goodbye is um, uh, I uh, come on and I talk about if anybody's uh, interested in uh, talking to us, I'll start out with where they can find me, um, how they can reach out to me, and then we'll end with you uh, if people wanted to reach out to you either about um, anything we talked about today or recommendations for interns if uh, um, you know people that are at Muhlenberg or uh, places to reach out to. And um, if they're interested in you personally, um, they can reach out to you through your email. Absolutely. Awesome. Okay. So, um, so my name is Emily Giordano. Um, I am a web designer and developer and I make websites for companies. I absolutely love what I do. Um, there's so much that you can do when it comes to, uh, building your website. It's really the, it's the place where people go to understand you, whether it's a digital representation of a business card situation or it's a place that people really come log in and interact with this community. There's a whole huge light sliding scale as well as e-commerce. Um, so if you're uh, interested in that and you'd like to talk to me about uh, website design, UX, UI, or you have a project that you'd like to talk to me about, um, you can uh, reach out to me via email. Uh, my name is, it, it's uh, Emily, E-M-I-L-Y at greatdesignlead.com. Or you can uh, find my company website, which is greatdesignlead.com. And uh, now we're going to finish up with Ben.
Yeah. Um, so once again, my name is Benjamin Dellen. Um, I am a former graduate of Muhlenberg College for Sustainability Studies with a concentration in environmental ethics and policy. And I am a current student at Lehigh University's graduate program for environmental law and policy. Um, I'm looking to really just help businesses or companies or anyone um, really do the hard work. Let me do the hard work for you in terms of research for sustainability and what can be done differently. Um, you, what you do makes a difference and, and it's going to have an impact on more people than you think, as well as your overall costs and, and what you're doing. Um, so once again, my name is Benjamin Dellin. That's D-E-L-I-N, like Delhi with an N at the end of it. Um, <laughs> and the easiest way to reach out to me, honestly, is my email, which is just bfd321 um, at, at lehigh.edu. Perfect. And we'll put that in the description. So there'll be the contact guest and contact host. And at the bottom, I'll add all the links uh, that we talked about today um, so that people can just click on that and uh, uh, without having to remember through the whole podcast. <laughs> but um, but thank you so much for coming on. I, I love talking to people that have totally different career backgrounds than mine because um, anything that you have a job in which it's all about um, human experience and user experience and how people interact with things it overlaps with so many other things that just involve how people uh do things and get their resources and all of that so thanks so much for teaching me everything about um about what you do and uh it was really great to have you on today absolutely thank you for letting me ramble about this i loved it <laughs> It was great. I I I, I love doing this. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah. So uh, I guess this is goodbye until next time. Absolutely. All right.